Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 135. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. The word legacy can be defined in several ways, but for Maria Taylor, it seems pretty simple. Make a contribution in life for future generations. Maria has become a familiar face seen on ESPN and ABC from college game day during football season to hosting NBA Countdown, the NCAA Women's Basketball Selection Show and Final Four, as well as a recurring co-host on Get Up. Now after a stellar volleyball career at the University of Georgia, where she would also play basketball, She was a reporter and host for IMG College before working as a sideline reporter for ESPN2 and then helping launch the SEC Network in 2013. Understanding that importance of legacy, Maria would co-found the nonprofit organization, the Winning Edge Leadership Academy, whose mission is to educate, foster professional mentoring relationships, provide networking opportunities and enrichment scholarships to ethnic minorities and women who are seeking careers in the sports and entertainment industry. Our conversation with Maria Taylor. Well, Maria, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate your time and I am already recording. Okay. I've learned my lesson over the years. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, it, it's it's not good. I know you've probably had some technical snafus over your career as well. It's not oh, fun. Absolutely. It's not. It's the worst. And it happens all the time, honestly. Because <laughs> you can't do it. I mean, you can prepare and prepare mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't matter. Sometimes there's these little yep. gremlins and this thing called life that just happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, it's going to get you. It's yes. going to get you at some point. It really is. And I know obviously things are just crazy with the current situation with the pandemic. But one of the things that I'm looking at is positive things that can come out of the situation. And one thing that I was always looking forward to was the last dance. And now, you know, that's come to an end. And it's like, right. what are we going to do now from that perspective? <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. It's been so much fun, though, watching. I mean, I actually lived in Chicago for 10 years. Um, my dad was an FBI agent and he was stationed there first. And even growing up there, you don't remember it as it's happening. I mean, I was probably six and seven. But it's so cool to go back and listen. It's like reliving an entire era. 
in 10 episodes docuseries like game of thrones for the bulls or something <laughs> yes i <laughs> so it's agree been fun to watch it has been a blast to watch because that was my generation i i grew up a huge michael jordan fan so it was great as you talked about kind of walking down memory lane and reliving some of that and a lot of the times you don't remember how it actually played out you think you do but seeing mm-hmm. it back on screen you, you forget about certain things and what are some of the biggest things that you take away from watching that, and especially about Michael Jordan as the athlete that he was? I think the first thing I didn't realize personally was just how at odds they were sometimes with management and just like the issues that were going on behind the scenes. Obviously, obviously everything that was going on with Scotty, like that completely flew over my head, you know, coming up. You just love Scotty. You know, I didn't know what he was going through. But then Michael Jordan as like the athlete, the person is just, how extremely competitive he is. Like to me, I guess Kobe would be that person that you would study and say, I want to have that guy's, you know, the mama mentality or whatever. But you can see that Michael was literally the originator of it and how he was pushing his teammates and how, you know, it didn't matter how many years he had. He always had something in the tank. You know, he was never trying to lose anything, not a golf match. You know what I mean? Not in spades, not, anything that he was gambling on, it just didn't matter. Like the way that he was wired was different from most people. And it's almost like it takes that type of personality to be the winner or the athlete, the person that he was. And I think too, uh, you always hear the stories about, yeah, well, he didn't make his high school team or those kind of stories, but to hear him really talk about it and to hear his mom say he like never went inside that summer so he could make the team. Like, and all he did was sit outside and shoot. Like not many kids would do that. A lot of kids nowadays, if they lose or didn't make a team, they would just be like, I didn't, I'm not good enough. Oh, well, I should try something else. Or that coach hates me, you know, yes. but MJ took the exact opposite approach. And I think it was just so good to hear and learn from. And like, honestly, make me want to take it into broadcasting. I think that all the time. It's like, I want to be more like Kobe and Michael in broadcasting. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you think you could do that then? Just having, you know, flawless shows as much as possible. Um, When we talked about it before, obviously there's going to be issues where it's like, well, that was a technical difficulty and there's nothing (laughs) you can do. (laughs) But just like the research for them, it would be practice and making sure that you put up thousands of shots. But for me, it'd be like, doing all the research I possibly can, talking to as many people as possible, you know, being the best reporter I possibly can, you know, giving until I have almost nothing left to give. Like that's what it seemed like they did at all times or, you know, being ready to, if there's a story, then I have to go. Or if the game start again, then I need to be there having that kind of mentality towards my, my craft. And I think there's a certain aspect that I picked up on also just again, reliving that you forget the commitment level that Mm -hmm. these guys have, like a Michael, like a Kobe, and Mm -hmm. just the sacrifice, because something has to give. They're going to give up on something. So would you be willing to give up on some things to reach that level that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think I do. Before the pandemic happened, I mean, this is the first time I've ever been able to spend extended quality time with my family, to be honest. So Even being able to see my mom on a daily basis or, you know, I have a little niece that's four and a little nephew and I can help out keeping them. And I would never be able to do that. My mom's birthday was on Mother's Day and being able to sit down and celebrate it with her. It's her 60th birthday. No chance that happens because we'd be in the middle of the playoffs. You know what I mean? When that would be occurring. So I would be calling her and saying happy birthday. 
So, you know, it's kind of twofold. It's like I'm realizing what you have to give up. And I'm also thinking, does that change after we go through this entire pandemic? Does everything look a little bit differently because we are learning different ways to do things from home? Or do I continue down like the torrid pace that I've been on? which I don't know anything different. You know what I mean? So I can't imagine not doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I do not imagine that changing, but those are two things that, you know, sitting down during this pandemic makes you think about. It definitely does. And I think that's one of the positive things that obviously we can talk about the negative side of it, but Mm -hmm. just what you mentioned, how special was that to be able to spend time with your mom like that on her it's birthday? It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you realize that your parents really are aging. Like 60 is a pretty big number or that they're even in that category of, you know, precautionary. They need to you need to be careful with them and they need to wear their mask because now technically they are senior citizens, you know, things like that that you don't think about when you're just on the road and you see that you come and you go and they're like, everyone's fine. You guys are doing fine. And the same thing for the young, it's like the older people in your life and then the young ones. Because every time I see my niece, I'm like, oh my God, she's grown like 10 years. <laughs> same with my nephew. I'm like, how is he sitting up right now? Like he's pulling up and standing and stuff. And I don't even know when he realized he had legs, you know? I know. It happens <laughs> overnight. It yes. It does. And I, I've enjoyed it though. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm looking at, we've got three kids, uh, two boys and a girl and the oldest one just finished up his sophomore year at Clemson and then mm, the middle wow. one yeah, is graduating high school and going to Clemson wow. in the fall. So obviously mm. we bleed orange, but right. it's just crazy to watch the progression. And then my daughter is going mm. to be a junior in high school and my wife right. and I are looking at each other and say, Hey, I, I'm glad we're friends because it's about just to be you and I again. <laughs> right. You guys are about to be empty nesters. <laughs> yes. You're like my parents. They're like, go ahead. Actually, we never really leave, let's be honest. So That's true. <laughs> my dad still comes over like every other day. I'm like, my toilet stopped up. I don't know how to do this. Dad, can you fix this? And same with my mom. And she was like dropping off groceries. And we never stop needing it all. So <laughs> yeah. how close are you with your parents? Super close. They have been married for, I think, 37 years. So they wow. met when they were really young in college, you know, they had my brother like upon graduation when they were 21. So, you know, they're pretty young, hip parents. They usually come to the first game that I work every single season, which is awesome just to have them there for that. And they travel for the playoffs usually. So they'll come to the national championship or they'll come to the playoff game beforehand. And I think we're a tight knit family. So I, that support that I get from my family, it's really important to me and I value it. You know what I mean? I, I try not to abuse it and like be like, you have to be everywhere and always watching my shows or games or anything, but <laughs> they know when I need it and they're there for me when I do. Yeah. Even if they're traveling though, you might not have a whole lot of time to spend with them because you're obviously very busy in those situations, right. but there's got to be that comfort level just knowing that they're there. They're there. Yeah. It usually boils down to like one breakfast and after the game <laughs> and they can be there for four days. Like they came to Arizona this year for the Fiesta Bowl. And I literally saw them for, and we were in the same hotel. I saw them for one meal. Wow. And then my mom came to the national championship and I did see her. She came down. My dad will never come down on the field. Like he's six, seven. I think he just like, I'm just going to stay put where I am. He's always been like the wallflower type of guy. But my mom, she'll come on the field when she's by herself. So she came down the field at Clemson. I saw her then, and then I saw her after the game. And she was, again, there for like four days in New Orleans. (laughs) When did you realize what job your father had as an FBI agent? When did that sink in? Like, oh, he's an FBI agent. 
really probably middle school because you don't recognize what it is. And even now, still to this day, like I'll be watching the scheme on HBO where they're talking about FBI agents and, you know, how they're going out, they're undercover. And so I'm like, dad, did you do that? I'm like, well, what happens if it doesn't work? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the craziest thing you've done? He's like, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he, he did work in surveillance. So a lot of what he did would be, you know, setting up the cameras, um, do, doing the wiretaps and being the one sitting in a car, you know, listening to some of those things and making sure that it's working properly. So it's funny because now he owns his own security business and now he does it for just homes and stuff like that. And I always thought, I was like, I think he has our house tapped. I think he does. <laughs> I bet so. <laughs> yes. So I knew by high school, you know, my dad, and if you tell a guy that your dad's an FBI agent in high school, it's just over. Like, good jo- good luck dating. It's like he left a um, target practice right in the door that you had to walk through, going through the garage so you could see that, know that he owned a gun and was an FBI agent. Oh, that's a nice impression as a yep. high school student mm-hmm. coming over there yep. to try to date you, right? <laughs> right. Like, just turn around before they even knock on the door. <laughs> so obviously being an FBI agent and even doing like the surveillance, it takes a lot of discipline. So yep. was discipline a big part of your family? Yeah, for sure. It was very much so if you decide to do something, you're sticking to it. Like we're not quitters. We work hard. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're good people. We're good sports. So in everything that I did and, you know, you're never pushed too much because like my brother didn't love basketball, but we all knew that that's a great way to get college paid for. So you're going to play and you're going to have a positive attitude about it. And me, on the other hand, like I love sports and I was a little bit of a perfectionist. So if anything, they almost had to pull me back and be like, it's okay, you know, to get a B here or it's okay if you don't have the best game of your life every single night. But you definitely like you. I don't know if it's like you recognize that my family's doing so good and my parents are doing so great. Like my grandma came from nothing and did so great. Like I just want to do great things, too. You know, yes, (laughs) that's literally how you feel. And so was that motivating you then that you want to like live up to certain expectations mm-hmm. and maybe even surpass them? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a very true thing that like every generation is striving to basically use what their parents have built as a foundation and see where they can jump to, you know, like see where you can grow to. And that's something that as I get older now, I realize that that's probably what I was striving for. Like I, if, you would have asked me in high school or even in college, I wouldn't have known what was pushing me so hard. But I do think that that's what that is. It's like you, you're striving to be in the same level, you know, working the same jobs at the same house as your parents or doing even more or succeeding even more because my parents couldn't have thought, oh, I'll go chase my journalism dream. You know, that's not something they could think of. But I was set up where I could come and live home and I could be on their insurance until I was 25 and I could freelance, you know, they had two kids by then. So they, like, it wasn't an option for them. <laughs> so that's why, you know, that's why my dreams can grow or why I could, you know, take this big leap and just try something completely out of the like mind frame of anything that my family had done before because they had set us up so well. How early was it in your childhood then when you mentioned that you fell in love with sports? When did that happen? I always played softball like when I was super young, so say seven, six, seven, eight, nine. And then when we moved to Atlanta, my sports shift to basketball. So that was like my sixth grade year. And I think that's when I really fell in love from a 
Now I want to watch the game. Now I want to go to the park and play all the time. And I think part of that is, you know, you just can't go pick up a softball and go play, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Basketball is a lot easier. <laughs> it's a lot easier. So I did it. I would just be at, we had a gym called East Roswell's right down the street. If you wanted to be inside and the Newtown park was the park that we went to, if you wanted to be outside and I would stay out there for hours and we had a um, hoop at the house and the ball would roll down the hill all the time. You got to run down the hill, go get the ball, run back up the hill. You know, so you're like <laughs> cross training while you're shooting and working on your free throws and all that stuff. But I literally, I just fell in love in sixth grade, started with the church league. And then I did AAU that summer and then I've never stopped, you know, like you never stop playing basketball after that. <laughs> it's year round after That's that. That's right. Well, I love hearing the stories of the homemade hoops, the homemade courts, because that's what I grew up on as well. And at our house, we had a water meter that was up mm -hmm. under the goal. So if you hit a great shot, it came mm -hmm. straight through the net and then would hit the water meter and you didn't know where it was going. You had to be right. on guard. <laughs> it could hit you in the face. It could. So it was teaching you how to rebound yes. no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's going through the net or anything. You better rebound. That's right. It, it was crazy. But I, I love just that's where you have some of those fond memories of, like you talked about, just staying out there all day and mm -hmm. not even worrying about time. It nope. just it didn't matter. It was just, it was something that, that you fell in love with. Now, did you have like a growth spurt or were you tall always? Yeah, I was long, but not tall. So it really wasn't until the seventh, eighth grade year had a huge growth spurt before that. And I played basketball. Like I was the same size as all of my teammates. And, you know, we're all kind of long, but we're, you know, we're middle schoolers that are above average height where everyone else stopped, you know, and they were, they, everyone stayed five, seven or whatever, five, eight. I kept going and hit six, two, you know? So then I was the <laughs> tallest person in my high school. And I really felt like I didn't stop growing until I got done with high school. I was like, am I still growing? Like <laughs> what is happening? But I was always like this, this super skinny, like look like a deer, you know what I mean? Like a, <laughs> still figuring out their legs type of kid. <laughs> yeah, a gazelle, that's what we'll say. Yes, exactly. How did that affect you though, being that tall? And obviously there's already challenges being in middle school and high school as it is. Yeah, I was called the Jolly Green Giant. You know, there were plenty of times where I just wanted to like, go and hide or I just would try to wear the flattest shoes like I wouldn't wear didn't want to wear Sacconis too much because they had too thick of a rubber sole like it was a rubber sole so I did a lot of superstars or you know the flat literally the flattest shoes that I could find but then you get on the basketball court and it's like this is great you know once I learned that if everyone associates you with this sport then they'll be like oh okay like yeah, she's real tall and that's strange and weird and different from everyone else. But have you seen her rebound? <laughs> you know, and I can still remember my first varsity game and the I had like 20 rebounds in the game. I don't even know if I scored a point. But the next day, literally a guy came up to me and he was, you know, an upper class. He's like, I heard you had 20 rebounds last night. Good stuff, kid. You know, and I was like, oh, this is going to be my thing. Like, this has to be it. That's acceptance. It has to be it. That's acceptance. Yeah. I felt accepted because of my sport. What about volleyball then when did the passion for that happen it came in it was instant but i started didn't start playing until the ninth grade and my basketball teammates we decided let's try out for volleyball so we can avoid doing the training for basketballs like just so we don't have to run around the track outside we all hated running outside <laughs> well, everybody and, um, does i get that everyone does it's like we don't want to do stadiums outside <laughs> exactly. or whatever it's like do the stadium mile 
So we tried out for volleyball. And of course, the volleyball coach is like, yes, I will take all of you. And we had never, I mean, seen a volleyball play. We didn't know why did they wear spandex. Like, we're all trying to wear our <laughs> basketball shorts. And um, she kept all of us on the same team. And so we literally played on the freshman team together and loved every second of it. And um, it just became like a fun release because basketball became such a, not a chore, but it was like you had to be driven and focused and it's AAU. You're trying to be on the best AAU team. You're trying to play in the, you know, Adidas elite camps. You're trying to go to all of the other elite camps that schools provide. Volleyball was just like fun. You just go to the team camp and you play for your high school. And even the club team I played for, it wasn't like this world renowned club team. We played, I played with the inner city club and they were called Starlings. And it was, you know, they found Nike and found people to come and give us gear because most everyone that was on the team was underprivileged in some way. And we weren't the best team, but we had a ton of fun, you know, the volleyball was like that release where being athletic came in handy and there weren't a ton of, you know, super athletic people playing volleyball at the time. I think that switch is now happening. But um, just being able to jump meant that I was a good volleyball player. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a key component. That's right. Yeah, exactly. How do you think that shaped your volleyball career, though, in terms of how you excelled if there wasn't this pressure, so to speak, that you described with maybe that you felt with basketball? I think it was easier. I think that's why by the time, you know, I was done with my high school career, I was more inclined to say I wanted to play volleyball in college. And it was simply because I just hadn't been worn down as much. And I think that's where we we see it happening in kids sometimes where they get this fatigue and um, playing one sport because they're year round. And the expectation is to have this high level, very elite competitive play all the time. And I still loved basketball. I mean, when I got to Georgia, I missed it and went and begged. I was like, can I play still? You recruited me. Can I still play? You know, and still ended up playing both. But at the time, it was like, I just want the release. I want the fun one. I think I want the fun one for college. And that's why I chose volleyball. And I, I don't know when or how I had kind of let Joy leave basketball, but I wish I had never done that. Or someone had told me before, it's like, hey, if you start feeling that way, you know, let's yeah, talk about off. it or figure out what it is. Yeah, you know what I mean? Back off. And that's okay, too. That is perfectly fine. Exactly. Because obviously there's a balance aspect that we all try to strive for in mm -hmm. life to a certain degree. Why University right. of Georgia, though? It's funny because I thought I was going to go to Kentucky. Like my plan was go to Kentucky if I was going to play basketball. And then if I chose volleyball, I would go and play at Georgia. And so obviously I chose volleyball and I never wanted to stay in the state. There were like so many reasons why I didn't want to go to Georgia. <laughs> and then I went to team camp there because I wouldn't even go to individual camp. I was like, I'm not going there. And, um, and I was like, oh, I love it here. It's so pretty and it's nice. And I was like, and that's still kind of a long ride, right, mom? You know, like <laughs> yeah, it feels like I'm out of like state. It's still like I'll be away. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like you just want to feel like you're going away to college so you can say that. And really now that I look back, I'm like so glad that my parents would come to every home game and they could always bring snacks. And they were the ones taking me and my teammates out to dinner afterwards when you're a broke college kid. That means everything. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like when you get to go to Longhorns with your parents after, like that is a thing. So, yeah, I think it's just like it was one of those aha moments for me, for sure, where I hadn't put too much. I just always thought I was going to go out of state. And then when I really thought about the reasons why I didn't have a reason why I told myself that, you know, and so I was like, choose the school that's best for you. And it was Georgia. And what did you gain the most of your time at Georgia in terms of just everybody has, you know, a college experience that it does shape mm -hmm. us as well. So what was it about Georgia that you took away now that you can reflect back? 
It's definitely the relationships. I mean, because I went to Georgia and I knew my athletic director, it was Damon Evans at the time. Like he was the one who said, we're going to make sure you have a job when you graduate. And they made a position for me as a production assistant working for, you know, IMG college and doing videos for practice reports on the internet and doing the radio volleyball broadcast and literally the position did not exist, but he made sure that it became one or, you know, to this day still calling on Carla Williams, who's the AD at Virginia now, but she was my senior women's administrator at Georgia. And she's like my mentor as I'm going through career changes or negotiations because she's been through all of those things. And then now I look at it as like, I have an, an entire university support. You know, there were times when I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll transfer, like me and my coach aren't getting along. And I remember distinctly saying, I was like, no one's going to take the University of Georgia away from me, you know, like the school. And so now I feel like I have the school with me forever. You know, I will always represent the school um, and good things and the school in a lot of ways represents me. You know, and so it's so cool to have that tie and feel very strongly about it. And I live in the state, you know, now I like I went to my flagship school in the state. I am a Georgia girl and and I just want to like represent it and do well by it. How difficult is it for you as you're covering college football and having to be a fan of Georgia, but also you sometimes you can't necessarily be a fan. How difficult is that? You know, it's not bad. It's rare that I actually even cover Georgia because we don't have a lot of SEC night games. Obviously, the one time that I did was the when they made it to the national championship against Alabama. And even during that moment, my bosses were like, "Okay, so you cover Georgia because you'll get the scoop and that'll work. You know what I mean? Like it was never (laughs) something that was like, no, you better be careful. And I do think now it's funny because now I have these relationships with some schools that people would never think. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I love Ohio State. You know, no, I love going here. I love going to Oregon. You know, and so you start building these relationships with all these other schools and their stories. And I think, too, what everyone understands is I respect the game so much and I know what it takes to be a collegiate athlete or to even work to a point to get to 10 wins or to win a conference championship that I would never do anything to disrespect that journey by like being unbiased or sharing information or whatever that would look like. You know what I mean? So. I've literally had Jimbo Fisher tell me that he said, he's like, the reason I still trust you is because like, I know you're an athlete and you wouldn't do that. Like you recognize this. It's more than a game. And so, and that meant a lot to me that he would say that in passing, but that was great. How big of a fan though, were you when you were actually a student there? It's funny because I didn't even know football until I got to Georgia. <laughs> what do you I'm mean like, you didn't know football? <laughs> like, what do we, I didn't, it wasn't like I sat down with my dad and we watched on Sundays. Like, we watched basketball. You know what I mean? That was our thing. And then I started watching volleyball, like at the Olympics and paying more attention to volleyball when I started playing it. But we were never a household. We weren't like entrenched in the Falcons or anything like that. But then I get to Georgia and it's funny because my grandma always was, she actually grew up in Athens, Georgia, where the university is. And so she loved Georgia through and through, but it took me going to school there, like getting ready to go to games with my teammates, realizing it's like the cultural event of your whole college career. And then learning that when we're doing good, we are all happy. So (laughs) let's go and support these teams. And then your friends end up being football players. Like to this day, some of my greatest friends that I still work with, one is actually an agent. I work with them every single draft. Like we're working through talking to different players and figuring out, you know, who, whose interviews I can get and things like that. And so it's interesting just to see how much becoming learning football at Georgia has also informed who I am as a broadcaster 
And then the relationships I built, you know, while being at Georgia and Georgia football, the coaches are everywhere. The players are everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, it's just insane to see how that happens. It, it really is. How important, though, is it for you also to be able to share to people uh, basically your almost 10 year overnight mm-hmm. success? Because it just didn't happen <laughs> overnight. It's a grind, it right? <laughs> it is. I know when people ask, I'm like, well, it kind of, it did kind of take a long, not a long time. Like in the grand scheme of things, no, it is not a long time. I totally get it. And I, I'm reminded when I'm with Holly, she's like, I have been on the sidelines for 30 years. I'm like, we have got to get you a cake. <laughs> but, um, I do believe in some ways, like it was certainly expedited one, because I was an athlete at a, um, a major D one school. And then, so the onset of the sec network was huge for me being able to have played at Georgia. And then I took that role knowing that I needed to learn how to become a host. And all I was doing before that, I was kind of freelancing. So I was doing play or analyst work for college volleyball, analyst work for women's basketball and sidelines on a um, college football package. But when I took over the SEC network gig, I was able to host SEC nows and host the SEC softball tournament and host the SEC women's basketball tournament. And that's how I can host NBA countdown now, you know, so that was a little bit of a leap where I didn't know that where it was going to take me. I was taking a step back from doing national football games to do only SEC network football games, but you know, I really felt like that was the right way to go. And that just changed everything. And so it still goes back to my college roots. Like, that's why I think it's a big reason why I got the job. Pretty much everyone who was working for the SEC Network had a tie to the league, you know? <laughs> yes. And so it's just crazy how those things work out. So I do believe it certainly expedited my process. But yeah, I couldn't even tell you. I, I look at my journey all the time. I'm like, how did we get here? How am I here? I know you yeah. have to. Mm-hmm. Were there times, though, that you doubted? Oh, Yeah. All the time. I mean, my first season working with Brent Musburger, you know, when I, that was my SEC network first year. And I actually just posted a picture of it on Instagram. And I was just like, I remember when I first met him and I'm just like, he's, he came in and introduced the SEC network. So we went from color bars to Brent Musburger's voice. Then he walks down the hallway into the studio and tosses it to me and Dari Noka on a desk. And I'm like, how did I get here? I have no <laughs> clue. I don't even know how to host. And now Brent Musburger's voice is like, sending it to me in a desk and he's you know? an icon and he's an icon and you're looking live and i did my first rose bowl with brent musburger you know what i mean like i doubted the fact that i was supposed to be there that was a very nerve-wracking day game for me i was nervous the entire time my first bcs bowl game i did the orange bowl when northern illinois played florida state i remember being scared that entire time the first time i did sometimes we would switch crews and I went to Joe Tess's and Matt Millen's crew and did an Arizona-USC game. And I think just the idea of doing a USC football game was freaking me out. Like, there are just certain – there's all of these steps where you think, this is the next step in my career. Or this is something I've never done before. Or this is – and so at every single turn, I've been, like, nervous about it. The first time I did get up, and, you know, and this was two years ago. And I'm, and I'm still feeling that way, like, okay – You've never done this before. It's very similar. It's still TV. I have to remind myself it's still TV and you can do it, but the nerves don't really go away. The nerves are always there, right? Yeah. How did sports prepare you then for your career, especially being in front of the camera and and being a host like that? Because you have to play through the nerves. You're going to be nervous for every game. The national anthem is going to come on. And if you don't have some kind of adrenaline pumping, then it's almost like, there's something wrong with you or you are on some kind of sedative because you should be amped about getting ready to play that game. You should be ready to 
you need all of your muscles to fire. You know what I mean? You need every piece of your brain to be ready to rock and roll. Like you can't come from, you know, this lazy place or just like, all right, it's time to go live. And here we are. Like you can't feel that way. And the red light in a lot of ways, it's a game. You know what I mean? When the red light comes on, you don't get that moment back. You know, you can't replay that down. You can't, there's so many things that you can't redo when the red light is on. And that's the same way when you play a game, you can't redo that shot. You know what I mean? So that's exactly what I learned from sports. Like you got to learn how to play through that, the fear. You got to learn how to play through the nerves and you got to learn how to fail and be able to come right back and do it again and not have that like take away all your confidence. How do you think uh, adversity has shaped you as well? Because I think there's an aspect that there's, especially as a parent, and one day Mm -hmm. you might be able to experience that in terms of you want your kids to have a better life like we talked about earlier, but they also, Mm -hmm. they need to be in a situation where they do understand failure and how to overcome that. Right. I remember my, um, I got a new coach, like I signed under one volleyball coach and then the assistant ended up taking the job because she decided to leave and take care of her family. And the next year, I guess it was my junior year, we got another coach and I just did, really didn't get along with him. And I remember I would call my mom all the time and just be like, I mean, I just don't think he likes me and it's not going to work and X, Y, Z just all the time. And one day my mom was just like, like, don't call me anymore. Like either you're going to transfer or you're going to deal with the situation. That is your boss. Okay. <laughs> So you need to do what he says. You need to find a way to work with him or, or leave, but don't call me and complain every day. And I still remember that. So it's kind of like a, if this is what you want to do, if you want to work in broadcasting, don't call and complain about the things that are hard. Don't get caught up in those things. If you want to be a volleyball player at the university of Georgia, then that is your coach and that is who you will play for. And that is who you would deal with. And so it's like things like that, that sports teach you that nothing else can, cause you got to just wake up and go to practice every day. You know what I mean? Like your scholarship is tied to that. Do you want books? You know, do you want to get your degree? Do you want your tutoring sessions? Then you better go. So That's the kind of the adversity that, and I think too, again, just like failing all the time or having a bad match or being the reason why your team loses and having to come back and be like, okay, I'm going to work harder next time, guys. Will you trust me next time? Those are crazy conversations to have to have. Those are crazy moments to have to live through. But once you've been through it, you learn so much from it. The other thing that you talked about is the relationships that Mm -hmm. you formed at University of Georgia and just obviously through your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Why then is it so important to you, especially as you co-founded the Winning Edge Leadership Academy? Mm -hmm. I think because I've had so many people lift me up and guide me to where I am today that I want to be that for somebody else. So, you know, our nonprofit is geared towards mentoring minorities and women and trying to help them get into the sports industry if that's what they're interested in. And I just know that I have a great network and I have so many people that are willing to help. And it's just like how they always are wondering, well, how do we help or what can we do or, you know, where can how can we help place someone and creating that infrastructure has just been such a game changer. Like it's been that next level fulfillment for me. So it's almost like, I'm not just here to be on TV. Like I'm going to use my platform for good and try to help raise up the next generation as well. And it's just been something that um, I've enjoyed thoroughly. And like to be able to have some of those success stories are the best things that could come from my career. Like, cause you know, you already know that it's going to mean more than someone going back and being like, Oh, I remember she did the Rose bowl. It's going to be someone who was like, no, I was encouraged by her. And that has made all the difference. Building a legacy. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's the goal. Why the name Winning Edge? Because we want to be that that edge. Like, there's always a competitive advantage at some point. For me, my competitive advantage was volleyball at Georgia. But we want to be like that winning edge, that one thing that puts you over the top or gets you that one job or makes something click in your mind and lets you know, you know what, my strength is served here. We want to be the winning edge for other people. And the other thing that I like is you talk about there's action words in mm-hmm. your mission almost, engage, enrich, educate. Was that mm-hmm. intentional for you guys to use those type of words like that? Absolutely, because the people who get involved in the winning edge quickly find out that it is very like you are going to be involved. We expect you. And the most important thing, we don't necessarily need a ton of money, but your time is so important. Like dedicating time to these young students, that's what they need. They need to be taken on enrichment trips. They need to be educated on what their resume really should look like because some have never even seen one before or their parents haven't told them that they're going to need a resume, a resume or a resume tape if they want it to be on TV engaging them, just asking questions. Cause sometimes they're never even asked, well, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? And do you even know what that is? Like, do you know what that job entails? Like, let's have a conversation. It's a big you know? part so of these, it. Yes. Have it's a, a conversation. Big, yeah, it's an action plan. Have a conversation. So that's why we use some of the words that are involved in the mission statement. What about words of wisdom then? I know you've had mentors in your life and like Robin Roberts has been mm-hmm. a big part. And but what about from, your perspective or any phrases, mottos or quotes, or just even life advice that now you're trying to pass on? I think a big one is that you'll be remembered by the way that you make people feel. And Robin's always been a big proponent of that, of just, it doesn't matter what your job is or how you feel that day that you need to walk into your job. And everyone needs to think that there's no place in the world that you would rather be. And you could go home and be upset and all these things could be crashing down, you know what I mean? But just make sure when you go to work that you are making people feel good and better and uplifting people because one, our sports industry is small, but I think that that's just a good rule to live by in general. And then I think too, that just failure, like it's not optional. It's almost like a certainty. You are guaranteed to, I have had failed auditions. I have failed during broadcast, but it's really just about the way that you internalize it the way that you self-talk yourself in and out of some of those situations and being able to enjoy the journey when you're up and when you're down, like finding those small things that still make sense. And then for me, it's just like, where's your faith? Because I think that a lot of how you're going to feel is going to be defined by your faith. How often you lean on your faith? A lot. And I, and I can actually tell when I haven't been like, I still, the chaplain at Georgia, Georgia football is like my pastor. You know what I mean? So I'm on the road so much. I'm like, we need to talk (laughs) 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 and he'll send me a book and he'll send me some sermons. And I'm like, okay, let me get my life back. Right. And usually it's just when I'm getting too busy and I'm forgetting to wake up and do my devotional, or I haven't been listening to the online church that I normally listen to, or I'm not talking to the people in my life that are full of faith too, that can give me advice that based on, okay, well, maybe you need to read the scripture or what you do know in the book, God has, you know, the plans for you are to do you good and not harm and did it like you need someone to be able to speak that on you and be encouraging in that way. And so I know when I'm near him and I know when I'm far from him and I can totally tell by my thoughts and the stories that I'm telling myself. It is amazing that because I feel a different energy when Mm -hmm. I know I've had 
dedicated time each morning yep. to just be in thoughts with God. And mm-hmm. the times that I don't, it's a different energy. It's it's, it's crazy how that energy. works. Yeah, it yeah. is insane. So how often do you get to actually get out and play basketball or volleyball? You know, we used to do it a little bit on the road for game day. Um, David and I would kind of go in like against the managers, <laughs> the basketball <laughs> managers at schools that we would go to. We just haven't done it in a while. We didn't get to do it as much this year. I don't even know why. Like I would like to say that we were more busy. But we just didn't get a chance yeah. to. Are you worried about injury, though? <laughs> nope, not at all. Okay. Although I should be because I'm like, what? am I going to be on crutches like on the sideline? Like, I know. David can just sit down somewhere on a desk. <laughs> I'd be like, I can't do my job, David. I'm Now my Achilles is torn because of you. <laughs> that would not be a good thing, I, I promise no. you. Mm-mm. Well, Maria, thank you so much for letting me steal some of your time. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rich. It was great having a conversation with you. Sometimes the hardest thing in life is to truly understand that the adversities that we face are in fact the same things that build us up, allowing us to exceed expectations. And as Maria talked about, it's those failures that prepare you for life when that red light does come on and you have to perform and no matter what you're doing. And during those times when we're all searching for that Mamba mentality. Now that finishes episode 135 and also an opportunity to celebrate three years of starting the podcast. And we look forward to bringing you more content in the future. And so make sure that you go to wherever you listen to your podcast so you can listen to more of our conversations. And you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.